We, um, we had such a great week. And uh, in our, our women's tea, there were 17 women who made decision for Christ for the very first time. And um, I think there were 12 who rededicated their life to the Lord. And so many who were touched by the speakers. It was just really great. And thankful for all those who helped and served and were a part of that. Um, well, the, the next two weeks are going to be filled with all kinds of good stuff. And we really want Christmas to be special to you and help you. If you want Christmas to be special, we've got some great things going on. And Wednesday, we have what we started a few years ago. It's kind of now it's our traditional family Christmas. And it's, it's, a, it's a night full of silliness. I guess that's just the way I can explain it. Just a night full of silliness. We have a lot of fun. And um, it's just, uh, don't, don't expect, expect anything, you know, deeply spiritual. I just want to warn you ahead of time. But that's what we, we do that on Wednesday night. And the kids, it's just a great time. And I hope you'll, you'll make that part of your, your week. And then next Sunday is our Christmas service services. And those are going to be God. It's going to be great, uh, well-planned. And then Christmas Eve, which is one of my favorite services always of the year, uh, our candlelight Christmas Eve service um, is really special. Um, I, I encourage you to not just kind of try one, but make it full. Just fill your, your Christmas, and I think you'll find it to be encouraging and uplifting So, in that. Well, um, this morning, we're going to continue our, our series, A Christmas Gift You Can Really Use. And, um, and, and this morning, I want to talk about the gift of and in darkness. The gift of and in darkness. There's a gift of darkness and there's a gift in darkness that I believe um, can be well, it can be life-changing for us if we understand it. And if uh, God is able to speak to our hearts, I, I'm sure he will this morning speak to you. I think uh, there's something for everybody here as we uh, study the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. And we're going to take a look at, um, at this story and see what God can kind of pull out for us as we study this together. Ninth chapter, book of Acts, if you have your Bibles, if not, uh, the overhead um, will have a scripture for you. Verse 1, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters for him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way... Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, now Saul, who um, will be, uh, his name will change to Paul. He'll go from Saul to Paul. He, he is going to be one of the most well-known men in all of history. Saul. Paul. In fact, Probably there isn't a name that has been known in all of history more, more than, um, uh, other than Jesus, than Paul the Apostle. 
Um, I'm sure Moses is in that list and Abraham. And I'm talking throughout history. And he was a scoundrel. An absolute scoundrel. And you, you see what he's doing. He, he's in Jerusalem and he's persecuting the church. He's a religious zealot. The guy, um, you know, he, he thinks he's doing God service by getting rid of all the Christians. And so in Jerusalem, he's done a pretty good job. He's really attacked the Christians. But now he realizes, hey, there's a bunch of Christians over in Damascus. Let's get them before they get started and keep spreading. So he gets papers. He gets um, authority from the high priest to be able to go to Damascus and get these people and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and get them imprisoned and killed. And it's real clear um, this same story that we're reading, he tells his story in Luke chapter 26, and, and he makes it real clear that he got papers and he gave testimony as they would come to, to um, the court and had them killed for their faith. So we're used to seeing Paul, if you're, you know, if you're a Bible reader, you're used to seeing Paul as um, the redeemed Paul. You see, you see the man filled with God's love, uh, the selfless giving of his life to, to God and to others, and we forget what he was. There, there were people in the church back then whose mother or father or brother or, you know, or son or daughter were dragged into prison and killed because of Saul, you would not like him. You wouldn't, you know, if, if Saul was, you know, around today doing what he was doing then, we would despise the guy. We'd probably be asking God to get rid of him. You know, or we would, you know, this guy, he was not a nice guy. And, and, uh, and you go, well, he had a heart, you know, he had a zeal for God. He was... He was all about hate. He was a man of hate. He hated the Christians. You have to see what he really was. You know, any ministry that is all about what they're against is suspect. If all they talk, if any ministry just talks about what they're against, um, I'd want to move away because that. What he had was religion. He didn't have a relationship. And when you try to put yourself in the shoes of those people, you would think, you know, how, how would you think? I mean, we have trouble, right? We have, we have trouble if people have a different political view than us. I mean, we struggle if our neighbor puts his music up too loud or lets his dog poop in your yard. You know, we have that kind. That, that's the things that irritate us. Well, but the church, the church is to be known by its love. The, the, the definer of the church, the character definer of the church is to be loved. It's not to be defined by what we're against or what we're for. And there are certain things, there certainly are biblical principles and there's things that the Bible tells us that we stand for and there's a righteous stand that we take. 
But that's not the character trait that we're to be identified. That's not what the, the world should see in us. They should see that we're people of love. That what, when, they, when they identify Christians, they'll know them by the way that they love one another and why, the way they love others. It was Jesus who said, you know, that you're, you're to love those who hate you and, uh, and abuse you and, and you're to bless those who curse you, which is so contrary to anything in our human nature. It's so different. I mean, that takes a power that is beyond us. And that's what a Christian has. The Holy Spirit who helps us in that, living out our lives that way. Now Paul is out persecuting the church. And he is this scoundrel, but there's something that God knows about Saul, who will be Paul. God knows that maybe no one else could see. And, and it reminds me of a scripture that in Isaiah 45, the, the story of the scripture, and just I'm just going to read, actually it's just two scriptures I want to read, but the, the background story of it is very interesting. You ever want to do a, a deeper study on this, how God, through the prophet, spoke about a king who would be, and, and gave his name 200 years in advance. And he would become the king of Persia. His name was Cyrus. And when Cyrus would come, Cyrus was instrumental of the Jews going back to the, their, the land and building the temple and all of that. He was very instrumental in all of that. And the reason he was, uh, he was persuaded in it is because they could produce the scriptures that were written 200 years before him that talked about him and gave his name. It says, God knew who you were before you were even born and knows your name. And by the way, Cyrus is not the only one that that's true of. It's actually true of every single person in this room. God knows you by name and he knew you by name before you had a name. So that's kind of the background here. And the promise that's given to Cyrus is for the purpose of him believing in the Lord. That was the reason he was given this information that he would believe in the Lord and what God would do for him in preparing him. But by the way, the, the, the promise that is given to Cyrus is also a biblical promise that is given to us. In fact, the promise that was given to Cyrus is repeated about Jesus, in fact. Let me read it to you in verse 2 of chapter 45 of Isaiah. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight and will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. See, what he's saying is, I'm ahead of you, Cyrus, and God is ahead of you. God is ahead of us. Sometimes we think God's behind. God's like, God, why are you always so late? It seems like, you know, I need you and you don't show up until the end, until it's way, you know, sometimes I think you're even late. God's never late. He's always way ahead of us. 
He's already, he's already opening doors that you don't even know are shut. He's always pre- already preparing a way for you. He's making the, stra- the, the path straight. He's getting things uh, and obstacles out of the way already. And when you get there, you don't even know that it was done. And that's the, the, the reality of our life. We've lived that. If you've, as you followed Christ, Christ has already opened doors. He's already set things in path. He's already gotten rid of obstacles that you didn't even know were there. But he did it. So we ought to thank God in, you know, for it. Thank him in advance for the obstacles he's going to take care of, of the doors he is going to open for us that we need open and shut, shut the doors that need to be shut. We ought to thank him in advance. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the times I didn't even know. You were taking care of me and protecting me and directing me. So he says he's going to do that. And then, and then he tells the purpose. He says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, I am the God of Israel. Now, I wanted you to see these things. There's two of them. I don't, I don't see them as one. There are two. There's treasures of darkness. Will you say that with me? Treasures of darkness. Okay. Um, let's... Let's try. I, I was going to be, make a a, um, a, a, a a remark that I was going to regret. No, I was going to have to repair. <laughs> you guys did great. You did great. Treasures. <laughs> try it one more time. It's, it's, it's just just listen. Just four words. Treasures of darkness. All right. Let's go. Treasures of darkness. The reason I want you to say that because I want you to hear it's of darkness. It's not treasures in darkness. It's treasures of darkness. And that, there, there's a distinction there. In fact, most of your translations will say of your paraphrase. If you have paraphrase Bibles, it has something else usually. Something like treasures uh, in darkness or treasures you know, uh, through darkness or whatever. Um, but actually, the, the, the proper translation is treasures of darkness, which means this, that the treasure isn't something that comes, uh, that, that's hidden in darkness, that the darkness itself is a treasure. You don't think of it that way. But the darkness itself is a treasure. And we'll see that a little bit further. In, in Paul's story, the, that, the, that darkness... When you're going through darkness, when you have darkness in your life that you think is the worst and, and the hardest, the most difficult, that God, that can be actually a treasure. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but you've been through it. You're on the other side of it, and when you were in it, it didn't feel like a treasure. But when you look back, you see the treasure of the darkness and what it was for you and how blessed you were as God took you through that and what it produced in your life. But then there's the hidden riches in secret places, and I won't make you say that. Too many words. I'm just teasing you. Uh, the, The hidden riches in secret places. So what is that? Well, there's secret places or there's darkness that has rich things in it. 
treasure. There's treasures in darkness, not just treasures of darkness. And we see that in Paul's story. See? We see this in Paul's story. This scripture, in fact, verse 3, when um, years ago, when I was... um, uh, when I was a youth pastor, in fact, it happened actually right before I actually uh, got saved, and then I was I was there at the church. It was my my wife's um, fa- my father in law's church, my wife's dad's church. They had a midweek prayer meeting gathering. It happened during the middle of the week, and um, people came from different places because it was a real charismatic um, environment that um, that you know was kind of spurting in the Jesus movement at that time. And, and a man walked in. His, uh, he was a pastor. His name was Sonny Argonzoni. And he, he had not been, um, he, he had tried, he, he was a young pastor. He had gone to New York and he was struggling. In fact, he tried to pioneer a church and it didn't, it didn't work. And so he came home. His home was uh, originally from, he was from L.A., just kind of wondering what God had for him, what, what he was to do. And he walked into this prayer meeting gathering, and uh, there was this prophetic uh, guy named Dick Mills. And, and Dick was, um, he was, he was, he had put thousands of scripture uh, to memory, and at, he would, he would, he'd, he'd be able to give you scriptures that seemed to apply to people's lives just as the Holy Spirit would give them. And he asked this young man to stand up, and he said, I have a scripture from, for you, and it was this one. I'll give you treasures of darkness and hidden 